0: This episode of the Cult Popture podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, get up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, give us something to talk about in the post-credit scenes at the end of each episode, or even contribute to the discussion in the episode itself, then please consider joining the Cult and donating at dubdubdub.patreon.com/slash/CultPopcher. oh hey well uh hey richard um richard are you there? <laughs> <laughs> wow what <laughs> <laughs> richard spotify has rapped or something i don't know i don't really use spotify but everyone's posted their spotify wrapped, and i'm here to tell you that uh someone with the instagram username salt otter uh has us as one of their top listened two podcasts and i said i'd give them a shout out and if i don't do it at the start of the episode i will you forget won't. to do it you won't <laughs>
1: um it's funny yeah like because spotify Wrapped obviously come out um over this weekend i'll say for when this episode comes out um and you know everyone's been posting mm-hmm. theirs, and uh, like and because you, you as you mentioned you don't you don't really use spotify and so mm. you've been uh you know I, i've heard you sort of talking about um, you know, oh, you know how like when like Spotify, it keeps on asking you, like, oh, come on, you don't, you'll be, able, you won't have ads, you can skip songs or whatever.
0: Yeah, join premium, please, bro, please join premium. Because
1: it, the way you say it, it's like I, I, I understand that you're looking for this like sense of familiarity mm. and for everyone to go oh my god i have no idea what you're talking about yeah, i've yeah. never used spotify free in my life
0: <laughs> no I've, I've realized that quickly that the um incredibly relatable joke i kept making was not relatable to anyone whom i made it to uh, and that's because if well if people didn't use spotify premium they would know they would know how goddamn desperate this little app that i open once every few months to maybe listen to a specific podcast that only releases on spotify that as soon as you do that it starts downloading something and it goes hey join premium and every time i click no because it would genuinely be like a waste of money for me to join premium mm. you know like i well, just it don't use it at all bell,
1: so that's how i have it
0: right it's funny that it's that it's it is like this because they prob they're probably confused because everyone just so like it's like an internet bill. It's like, you know, you gotta have Spotify premium. And so I'm this outlier and the reason I think it's relatable is because it's obviously happening happening to me, and the reason oh, yeah. it isn't relatable is because Spotify's looking at it and going like, There's someone who isn't on premium? We need to tell them about well, this. Well, that,
1: that's the thing. I I wouldn't I would forget there is a free version of Spotify if I wasn't reminded mm. once a year by you when Wrapped comes out <laughs> <laughs> like like the, the idea that it's like the, the, like just the fact that you're saying Spotify premium sounds so foreign mm. to me They're like just the, the fact that you have to clarify you mean premium it's like yeah dude uh, of course
0: I say free the shackles. Spotify's terrible to its artists. Let's get people using Bandcamp, I've heard from my musician friends as the preferred... you know that's the fairer one i guess so maybe mm. th- i'm like just just like how me never learning how to drive has become um something i can tell people is what makes me like a green environmentalist um i am be- i am protesting spotify and it's not at all because i just don't really listen to music leisurely that often uh it's because i want to support struggling artists
1: mm. yeah i don't think that's a
0: I think that's it. I think that's it. <laughs> Welcome along, everybody, to the Cult Popture Podcast. A podcast which for some of you is the top of your Spotify wrapped Or just on the list. I shouldn't assume that we're the top of everyone's list. It's nice. Keep sending it to us though. We like it. Um and this is of course Film Franchise Fortnites on the Cult Pop Podcast, where once a fortnight we watch a different film franchise. My name is AJ, if you didn't catch that, and I'm talking to my best friend in the whole wide world, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's not just to be clear aj that is not reciprocated
1: (laughs) um well i I just this once i will reciprocate it uh because it is christmas it's the spirit of giving um Mm. to those less fortunate so uh just (laughs) in this case i will tell you (laughs) That you are my best friend of the whole wide world, um, until December twenty fifth.
0: Okay, and then then Santa's your best friend, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Or is that the limit of when you'll tell me that I'm your best friend?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because then it's like, well, oh, then, right. then what? Yeah. Maybe on your birthday, I when I get, I'll get mm, DJ yeah. Qualls to tell you. Ah, oh, nice. <laughs> which I I bought AJ a cameo from DJ Qualls for his birthday this year, um, which was an actor
0: funny. I I vaguely recognise and kind of like, yeah, um. Because it's Christmas, Richard, we thought it'd be cool to do some Christmassy franchises, you know, to to get into the Christmas spirit. And because there's not a lot... Uh, of Christmas franchises left that we've yet to cover um we're really uh scraping the bottom of the barrel here for um for anything yeah. that could be vaguely related to christmas and i'm happy to report that the night in the in the night at the museum trilogy does in fact have snow in the first one <laughs> yeah and uh
1: one and 3 came out like the week before christmas they were really like capitalizing on mm-hmm. that kind of thing and actually um the t- uh, the tagline for Night at the Museum two thousand six was this Christmas. It won't be a silent night.
0: That's very Christmassy for a movie which doesn't have the word Christmas in it.
1: Mm. Well, it yeah. has the
0: word Easter in it as an Easter Island head.
1: <laughs> yeah that's true uh so yeah this is film franchise fortnights we are here to talk about the night at the museum trilogy uh which consists of no surprises here three films night at the museum 2006 night at the museum battle of the smithsonian in 2009 and night at the museum's secret of the tomb in 2014 uh all three films are directed by sean levy which is a nice sort of um you know uh it's it's a nice uh what's the word it's a nice thing that, that doesn't happen Consistency? Consistency, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> the first two are written by Robert Ben-Garant and Thomas Lennon, uh, who actually have a book mm. on screenwriting, uh, which is like how to write a billion-dollar franchise because, and they're referring to Night the Museum. R- did Night at
0: the Museum make a billion dollars?
1: Uh, between all three of them. It says, writing movies for fun and profit, how we made a billion dollars at the box office, and you can too, is what the book is called
0: wow well i could i could potentially ask thomas lennon about that myself because um he follows me on tiktok (laughs) (laughs) he does not respond to my dms asking him if he wants to be on the podcast so i guess i couldn't ask him but he does follow me and he has liked a couple of my videos (laughs) (laughs) if you're listening thomas please uh Come on the show. You should post. This <laughs> Tell us clip. how to make a billion dollars. Post this clip on your TikTok. Tag <laughs> a minute. Yeah, that that's that's such an abusive use of like people following me on TikTok. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So Night the Museum. Uh, what is the first film about, AJ?
0: So the first film is about uh, Ben Stiller. He plays a character named Larry Daly, which is a, a weirdly memorable name from a franchise which I I. T- would tentatively suggest is has not stayed particularly hot in the pop culture zeitgeist mm, would you I, agree uh, with that
1: i don't know i, I think it's it, it's partially a generational thing but i think it is one of those things where uh, like you could reference night at the museum to anyone within five to ten years of age from us and they would know what you meant you know like mm. You know, if you you said, oh, like all these these people running around after dark, you could be like, oh, a bit of of a night at the museum situation. And Mm. nine times out of 10, they would find that hilarious.
0: Yeah, but they wouldn't say to you- It would depend on your delivery. They wouldn't say to you, yeah, I feel just like Larry Daly, (laughs) or if they did, you wouldn't really know what they meant, which I think is interesting Mm. because they say the words Larry Daly so many times in this Mm. franchise that you would think they're trying to make a bloody like- They say
1: Larry Daly daily. (laughs) <laughs> and nightly
0: um it's almost like it's it's like the second franchise in a row where where they want an iconically named main character but unfortunately indiana jones is just uh infinitely more catchy than larry daly mm. I guess. well maybe
1: if they um titled um the second two. Larry Daly and the Battle of the Smithsonian. <laughs> and then they and then, you know, you would come on here and go, Yeah just call the first one Larry's Night at the Museum. Um
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, that wouldn't be. Yeah, since it's not. Still yeah, still not the same it's even thing. Worse.
1: <laughs> Larry's Larry Daly of and the something. Night at the Museum. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess would be it. Larry
1: Daly yeah. and the Secret of the Tomb.
0: We will. We will talk about the titles because I do have something I want to say. But but first, the first film. The first film. So he is a um, sort of wannabe inventor. He he invented the um like a light that turns on when you snap your fingers. Mm. Um, which is obviously h- hilariously because-
1: similar to the clapper um mm. which you know
0: which is easier clapping's easier <laughs> why are you why? um <laughs> that's yeah there's a joke from the i love on this podcast when we just recite <laughs> the deliveries from the movies although fun um, fact so about he,
1: that um yep that uh exchange when he goes to the patent mm. office or whatever um that's his is that his real life mother he's speaking to
0: Ah, well she's great good job Larry Daly's real-life mum or Ben Stiller's
1: real-life <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben Stiller's real-life mum.
0: My aim is to say Larry Daly as many times as it's said in these movies. Nice. Um... So, he gets a because he needs to make ends meet because he's a divorced dad and doesn't want his kid to think he's a loser. Um he gets a job as a night guard at the uh New York Museum of Natural History, which uh, boasts a bunch of fascinating wax statues and and all these sorts of things as well as an an Egyptian exhibit housing the tablet of
1: Achman Ra. Um,
0: Ackman Ra, which is a solid gold tablet, which Larry soon finds out has a magical power, and their magical power is that every night it will bring to life all of the things in the museum whether that be something that um that you know has a one-to-one translation to being alive like um robin williams as teddy roosevelt is just a wax figure so he becomes a real figure but also the aforementioned easter island head comes to life with a personality and a voice um and also the actual mummy itself um our second franchise this year to include a mummy in it um that well, also it, it, uh, come and
1: more so if you include actual mothers
0: that's true. <laughs> very true um evangelion <laughs> being one of the main ones that comes to mind.
1: oh, um, the, but, oh but, people but, are gonna love that reference aj <laughs> and, and you making it especially
0: <laughs> um but the point is that even like it's not just wax figurines or statues that comes to life mm. it's also like this dead mummy comes to life played by rami malik uh looking pristine like he isn't 2000 years yeah. old
1: it's his first film role too which is why he looks so pristine
0: oh (laughs) anyway so the the story of the first one's pretty simple he's he sort of just tries to impress his son and not get in trouble with uh ricky gervais who's like the the boss (laughs) the Mm. boss of the museum um and uh then uh dick van dyke um bill Cobbs, and mickey rooney who are the old night watchmen they come along and they're like hey you know we're giving you this job and then it turns out richard that those guys are actually the villains and they aim to uh steal the tablet because it revitalizes their old joints um which is strike one on the what exactly does this tablet do (laughs) Um, (laughs) question that i have (laughs) like does it bring things to life or does it heal old bones what does it do i'm not uh, oh it does all sorts of things mate it does all sorts of things, <laughs> um, and so there's a there's a final confrontation. There's a few more rules I should probably mention. Um, the 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 things that are bought alive by the tablet cannot uh, be outside the museum. Well, they can't be touched by sunlight, or they'll turn to dust, mm. basically. Um, and along the way, we also have um, Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan as um Jedediah and Octavius, who is a cowboy and a Roman emperor or roman soldier respectively um who else we got we got a monkey named dexter a capuchin monkey um the the easter island head is played by uh brad garrett and um talks in a and in a in a voice pattern which would have been very funny to children in 2006 i think i know i would have found it hilarious because he calls ben still a dum-dum and <laughs> get this he follows it up with give me some gum gum this is the billion dollar screenplay that thomas lennon
1: <laughs> <laughs> <That's another right. laughs> well this is a half a billion dollar screenplay oh, um sorry. it actually was the um fifth highest grossing movie of 2006 what? um we've actually covered six out of the top 10 uh highest grossing films of 2006 uh, do you want to name them casino royale that is one of them that is number four
0: um is it one of the fast and furious movies no um is it um, one of the Evangelion movies. <laughs> no, um, it won't. Be. <laughs> the
1: the number one uh, was for a time the third highest-grossing film of all time, or maybe even the second.
0: oh Terminator. No, no. sorry to, to be specific, I meant Terminator. Three, which actually came out in 2003 I think yeah. I, I don't know you're going you're gonna to have to tell me I have a blind spot with 2006 every movie that came out in 2006 for some reason I thought it came out in 2007 uh-huh. I don't know but that's just a consistent uh, Alright so, so
1: number 10 which we have covered is Happy Feet Number nine, which we haven't, Mm -hmm. Superman Returns. Number eight, which we have, Mission Impossible 3. Number seven, which we have, X-Men The Last Stand. Number six is Ah. Cars, which we haven't covered yet. Number five is Night at the Museum. Number four is Casino Real, as you said. Uh, Number three, which we haven't covered, is ice age the meltdown wow uh, number two is the da vinci code which we also haven't covered uh and number one which for a time as i said it was the third film in cinema history to gross over one billion dollars and is currently the thirty-five, 35th, 35th highest grossing film of all time that is pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest
0: all of those are franchises they are yeah so all of those could potentially one day we one day we could have covered the top ten from two thousand six yeah. <laughs> across various episodes. Yeah, I mean the
1: only like non I mean Cars and Happy Feet are original IPs. Uh but then right, obviously yeah, they yeah. had so they went on to have sequels, but um yeah, just goes mm. to show you. Mm. No one mm. uh, no one likes movies anymore. <laughs> no one likes movies anymore.
0: And it is crazy that since two thousand six that um the top gross highest grossing has become what'd you say the 35th 35th yeah so that means in the last how many years has it been since 2006 15 16 years 15 years that all of those like the the 35 more movies have come out in that time that have beaten a record breaker that's pretty interesting
1: yeah um yeah i mean it is interesting to look at like so that was the third film to ever gross a billion dollars mm. uh, and you look at 2019 and the top nine films all grossed over a billion dollars uh, are the top one uh, yeah. grossing two point seven um mm. so yeah I mean it's like it's it's regularly trounced Although, of course uh mm. box office hasn't been so hot the last couple of years um <laughs> hey but we congratulate them when
0: something like venom 2 makes half its budget back yeah, We're like oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so uh,
1: nice. tell me what did you think of Night at the Museum and have you seen it before
0: I have seen it before I'd only seen this one though I hadn't what? seen the sequels. That's such a shock <laughs> um, and we I I remember going to see it with my mum in the cinemas and I think we bought it on DVD I really like Night at the Museum 1 and I, I really liked all of these I do think that um, the th- this this franchise as a whole is Um, remarkably one of the most consistent we've ever covered, Mm -hmm. I think, in terms of quality across all movies. That being said, I don't think any of them are amazing. It's maybe the... Uh, worst Gold Star franchise we've covered. Uh, Gold Star meaning all yeah. the films are as good as each other.
1: Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to reveal that at the end, that it was a Gold Star franchise. Well, maybe
0: it's not true. Maybe maybe we need to have a conversation about mm. it because that's also got to take in um, critical consensus. Yeah, But true. I guess if you were going to reveal it, then the critical consensus was that. <laughs>
1: I've just seen that, that writing movies for fun and profit, um, and fun and is crossed out on the cover. Um, the testimonial on the front cover, Is from Ben Stiller, and it says, These two guys are the reason (laughs) Night at the Museum won so many Oscars.
0: that's the funniest joke i think i've ever heard ben stiller make <laughs> um
1: this film obviously was not even nominated for any oscars <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah one thing i thought was interesting is that paul rudd plays ben stiller's ex-wife's new husband in the first one it's mm. the only one paul rudd's in and it's it's a relatively um empty role he's i think the point is that he's they don't want they didn't want to demonize the the new man so it's just a large yeah, yeah. generally likable guy um but one thing I thought when watching, that, I was like, if this was made now, Paul Rudd would play Larry Daly. Mm. Like the the, I'm not saying Ben Stiller would necessarily play the the new husband, the cuck, but the bull, Paul sorry. Rudd has definitely has definitely taken the spot that Ben Stiller yeah. had. Yeah, their roles in generally
1: kind of played um, more by a Bobby Cannavale type.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, in terms of in terms of what I thought of it, I think it's it's pretty good. I think it's a really fun concept. I think there are across all films there are like not necessarily even shortcomings, just stuff that could have been just, better. Just Cummings, um, just Cummings, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think for that reason, I'm 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 not blown away by any of them. They're more they're more pleasant than they are particularly good. Yeah, I yeah. Say. The
1: Cummings didn't blow you, no. <laughs> um yeah so the it's um it, it's got what like it a, have on brown tomatoes that's uh that's a good point um 43 <laughs> percent which is quite low and i'm sure will be a massive shock to you <laughs> that is lower
0: than what i was expecting yeah and i mean you, I you're we, probably
1: thinking something like mid to high 70s right
0: okay we'll save this now this is our <laughs> second time recording this part of the episode yeah i know you <laughs> wanted first, to like, mention 20 it
1: minutes. that's that's right everybody there's a new Mm. lost episode in town because (laughs) we recorded 20 minutes of this episode decided we didn't like it and there were other reasons Mm. as well and then started again and you didn't fucking know until right now
0: and let me tell you what this new record is much better
1: it's already <laughs> yeah, it's, the, c- the like, energy is so much better, oh, so much better. <laughs> i hope that this like that there's that creates a law around like the lost episode two and right it's, e- it's equally as like you actually don't want to hear it like um, there's <laughs> nothing wrong it's with bad, um, it's, but- it's mostly it's mostly um it was connection issues that um just forced us to um to try hmm. again but because what a lot of people don't tell you about podcasting
0: is that the chemistry of the hosts actually relies completely on the latency that they're able to <laughs> yeah, communicate the, the, with each other. And the, as soon as ping. you put them two to five seconds out of connection with each other, none of the jokes land. The li- the laughs go from like genuine laughter to like sort of pity laughs because you knew yeah, that was to like, supposed to laugh I, at.
1: <laughs> I couldn't hear the end of your sentence, but I think it was a joke. Here
0: you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in this case, I heard the end of your sentence perfectly, and I didn't think it was funny. So, I hope everyone enjoys that little peek behind the cannon.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, night the museum. It is. Uh, as for me, uh, I think yeah, this is uh, this is uh, a perfectly good. Mm-hmm. kids film you know like like family mm-hmm. film it's it it is for a movie that came out like chris the the week before christmas or the weekly after christmas or whatever that um yeah especially because i i guess now the with um w- i think avatar was the first like really really big blockbuster that was like yep december's our thing and then you know since then like december there's always the blockbusters and I think that because christmas is weirdly apparently quite a busy day for for going to the movies and it's this kind of film that you know Mm -hmm. like should be in those cinemas and you should have like this is a perfect you know it's traditionally you take the whole family to christmas to the movies for christmas every year you'd love to see it to put on night at the museum it's just it's, it's, it's that kind of movie and it's it's Perfectly serviceable in every way, and I mean that in the nicest possible way.
2: <laughs> yeah. That it's like, yeah, it, please I don't, don't unfollow be, me, Thomas Lennon.
1: Yeah, this isn't going to be people's like favorite movie necessarily, but it's just it's such a solid franchise, and it's hard to really fault in any major way. Like, I can't, mm. despite the fact that it has forty three percent of Rotten Tomatoes, I can't imagine anyone hating these. Uh, like, you're watching these and actually genuinely hating them. I can understand you being like, yeah, yeah whatever, but like, there's nothing in them that's gonna anger you you know
0: Mm. yeah i reckon this i'm gonna check my um my uh letterbox list for because i a while ago i went back and and i did like all my um top tens of different years yeah and i'm gonna see where i placed this in um in the the top 10 of 2006 because i reckon it's i reckon it will be within the top 10 is what i'll say like yeah. I don't, I don't reckon it's um, it's changed. Two thousand six. I have put this eighteenth. I reckon oh, wow. I'd, I'd lift it up a bit.
1: What's it next to?
0: Uh, it sits between uh, the bench warmers and the fountain. Very that says more about my my Jeez. taste on the fountain than it does on any of the other movies <laughs> on this list. But looking at it now, I reckon I could stand to to shake this list up a bit. So maybe I'll um um uh break the seal on on my unspoken rule which is do not change your rankings after you've done them because it's it'll drive you style. insane yeah. <laughs> for anyone wondering my my top three of twenty two thousand six 2006 is uh, at number three i've got the departed at number two i've got casino royale and at number one i've got children of men so
1: good year there
0: you good go year for Phil. it is a good year
1: for film it You're is dead
0: right looking at all these um so
1: interesting thing I, t- I talked before about how the box office has changed um lately which uh you know due to the pandemic uh one thing that we've seen as a result of that is a lot of this like day and date um in theaters and on streaming kind of thing all these mm-hmm. um at the very least like a shortened theatrical window where the movie will come out after like uh, on video on demand or on home video or whatever on after 45 days or even less sometimes apparently so major cinema chains in the uk actually pulled this film off their screens uh when 20th century fox announced they were going to release the dvd only three months after its theatrical debut and so they were so pissed off at a three-month exclusive theatrical window that they said right if you're only giving us three months we're not playing it wow yeah that's insane three months yeah
0: uh, that, that really brings into light how long movies stay in the cinemas after you've seen them like i remember yeah. um going to the cinemas six months after kingdom of the crystal skull came out and seeing it was still playing and just feeling sick at the idea that someone hadn't seen it yet and would go yeah. see it now for the first
1: time mm. <laughs> yeah i mean it's like uh Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't think it stays in the cinema that whole time, Mm. but just the idea, I think it's the idea that it's like, oh, okay, say it's in the cinema for, I was going to say 12 weeks, that's um, three months, but um, say it's in the cinema for (laughs) six weeks. And then, Mm. um, you know, it's like it gets to the end of six weeks, which is when the the cinema makes most of its money. It doesn't um, have to put the majority of the ticket sale to the studio. Um, that they're, they're worried that people are just going to go oh well it's going to be on dvd in six weeks i'll, I'll get it then you know yeah it, yeah it, it, it seems so so foreign now that like uh, i have a movie like especially you know during the pandemic if a movie came out three weeks ago and it's not on vod yet i'm fucking pissed Mm. off i am as you're listening to this now i am out of lockdown and i will have been to the movies i i'm out of lockdown from tomorrow um but Mm -hmm. uh yeah by the time you're listening to this i will have been to the movies two if not three times um so yeah So yeah, that's that's exciting. Um, if you do, you
0: reckon if, this is this is a reason why um, there is a movie like Night at the Museum where it's set at winter but not explicitly at, at Christmas? Because if you set it at Christmas, no one's going to want to see it in February, and then you have to wait until the festive season again to release it on DVD. Mm, so they yeah, make maybe, it, maybe these you know, yeah
1: these these um, cinema chains like were like no we take because they were like no Night at the Museum is a Christmas movie. I won't mm. have you selling DVDs of a Christmas movie in February mm. or yeah, March. Yeah, that'll be and why. And so, yeah, and they're like, "No, no, no." Like they they were just so morally outraged that they no. um just thought, "No, we have to <laughs> we have to make you guys release this next Christmas on DVD or <laughs> well, VHS." Um I've mm. got some dumb Debbie trivia. This is a, this is the kind of franchise that is just right with um dumb Debbie trivia. Which is um, by the Domain way, DB trivia is a segment I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. Um, <laughs> so INDB trivia, if you didn't know, um, or the tri- trivia section on INDB is user submitted, which means that it's often times quite dumb. Um, whether that's, uh, you know, sometimes it's just it, it speaks for itself why it's dumb. Sometimes it's just poorly written. Sometimes it's like not trivia. Um, and so we have a little segment where we like to highlight that. Um, so here's one dumb IMDb trivia. This is the entire trivia entry. Rami Malek is Egyptian. And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, okay, I mean, the- like it, it it is a piece of trivia that's like, yeah, the actor is actually Egyptian, he's playing a mummy. Um but it's just mm. that with just four words. Rami Malek is Egyptian. Mm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Where the 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 piece of trivia would be he's actually Egyptian. Yeah. In real life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and I mean maybe this person, you know, their their word economy is um, you know something to be praised for something
0: to behold <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so at around one hour 29 minutes into the film uh, when jedediah and octavius are draining air out of the van tire towards the end jedediah says i ain't quitting you in his usual country accent a reference to Brokeback mountain 2005 now mm. i did notice this I, I get that that is a reference but it's just funny that they pointed out that he keeps his accent for that one line
0: well i guess i guess again i think i can see the piece of trivia they're trying to construct Mm. within this garbage dump of a sentence and i think what they're trying to say is that it's a reference to cowboys because it's a sort of a line from Brokeback mountain yeah the maybe the most famous cowboy movie of the
1: (laughs) 21st century (laughs) (laughs) um and this one um Probably one, probably our most famous uh, domain uh section, uh, mm-hmm. well second most famous actually, most famous being the Toy Story two one, but this um, another one there uh, on the Hellraiser episode. Every single Hellraiser movie had as a piece of trivia. Um, the word cenobite means member of of a monastic order, mm. and this one the entire piece of trivia says a docent is a person who acts as a guide, typically on a voluntary basis, in a museum, art gallery, or zoo.
0: Right. I wasn't asking. And is that? What... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say docent in the film? Because I don't remember it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Apparently, Um. in the second one, Mindy Kaling's, Mindy Kaling's character is just called docent, um, which is uh. a, a guide. But that's, this is for the, this is the first film, so who gives a shit? But speaking of the second film, let's move on to it. Alright,
0: uh, first I do want to say though, mm-hmm. um, I, I like to look up, now that we've got our, um, we can look at our stats on Letterboxd and oh, we can yes. find interesting little little statistics, and when Ricky Gervais showed up in this one, I was like, God, how many times have we seen Ricky Gervais you know at a point in his career where everyone's like oh you have to get ricky gervais in your thing Mm. like how many times have we seen ricky gervais do that and i looked up so he's in the other two *Night of the museum movies and he's also in muppets most wanted and uh spy kids four all the time in the world where he plays the dog and is the worst part of the movie Mm. and i would like to say that if you go back and listen to our spy kids episode you'll hear us just completely dunk on the guy for being like clearly like he's he's um, commodified his natural charm and charisma into into something that works for this dumb film and it's horrifically annoying i think the night at the museum movies kind of perfectly capture ricky gervais and get him to play the 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 best character he can which is like someone who's who's hiding how insecure they are but also mm. like wielding their power over the you know the people that work under them and so I, I, I just want to say, I, it's, in some ways, this is a redemption from a uh, spy kids all the time in the world.
1: A redemption. <laughs>
0: oh, Ooh. that almost works. <laughs> <laughs> you did not like that. It's also our our second our second Ben Stiller trilogy, um, this year, which and features on
1: Wilson in every film as well. That's true. Mm. That's true. Um, and also features one film where a character hilariously looks exactly like Ben Stiller
0: yeah because in um the third one there's a caveman that looks like that's played by Ben Stiller and in Meet the Fockers is there is mm. a kid who's supposed to be Ben Stiller's supposed son. Um we can move on. I should just say that this is our uh third Robin Williams franchise after Jumanji and Happy Feet as well. Oh
1: yeah. Uh yeah, do so people find museum, this interesting? <laughs> I do. Night of the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, uh two thousand nine also directed by sean mm-hmm. levy what is it about have you seen it what did you think of it and what does it have around tomatoes
0: <laughs> <laughs> um i had not seen this one i'd definitely seen clips of it i knew that amy adams plays amelia earhart in it but i didn't really know what it was about i actually um incorrectly believed they were all just set at the smithsonian because i didn't know what that was um. And uh, was the other question there? What did I think of it?
1: No, what is it about? <laughs> did
0: I like it? What's it about? All right, this one is about... Um so uh Larry Daly, who has moved on from his night guard job, um returns to the museum one night to say hi to his chums only to find that they're being replaced with you know high tech versions so instead of statues, it'll be like holograms and that they're being um, shipped away to the uh, the the Smithsonian Museum in washington d c in the basement where they'll be kept in perpetuity basically as you know something they might use one day. Um, um, and because he doesn't want his friends to, to to be locked away for eternity, he breaks into the Smithsonian, um, goes underground, um, where the tablet is there and it's been activated, um, and it is revealed that Ra's brother played by hank azaria um is running about causing a muck because he's the evil version because the rami malik was the nice version um and he wants to use the tablet which apparently has more power than we originally believed he wants to use the tablet to open the portal to the underworld and take over the world um and so uh the the you know he teams up with Amelia Earhart, and um they have to d- go on a mission to unlock the the code of the the, t- the tablets so to save jedediah's life and a bunch of stuff the point is is that it's in a new museum there's new characters and um a little bit more of the magic is revealed i think of the mm. the tablet yeah. itself.
1: Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, you've got, um, a bunch of, um, new characters in this one. So obviously along for the ride, we have your, your Steve Coogan's, your Arne Wilson's, your Robin Williams's. <laughs> um, but you also we Not have- Not on this uh... one as much, Robin Williams. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so we've got amy Amy Adams as you mentioned playing Amelia Earhart and a woman who looks just like her um Jonah Hill as Brundon, the security guard um you know if Ricky, if Ricky gervais the hottest thing in two thousand and six you had to get him in your film um jonah hill's the the same thing for two thousand nine absolutely but like yeah different kind of like stock than he has now um mm. like it was oh you need a dumb fat guy to to be awkward. Get Jonah Hill in. Whereas now it's like, you know, he's, he's a fucking Oscar nominated um, actor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've also got Hank Azaria, as you mentioned, who um, anytime there's like, a, a character who's just their voice it's very clearly hank azaria as well because it's like mm-hmm. you got hank azaria in your film let's fucking rig him dry um <laughs> you have um christopher guest plays ivan the terrible uh john burnfall mm-hmm. in a very early role for him plays al capone mm. uh bill Hader's general custer um i had
0: a cat named after custer when i was a kid oh, really? Isn't that we a weird thing to name a cat after it is
1: yeah um uh, jay baruchel <laughs> um yeah yeah uh eugene levy plays uh some albert einstein bobbleheads uh craig robinson shows up um thomas lennon and robert ben garrett have a little cameo um as the Mm -hmm. wright brothers and is there is there any um cameos you noticed in this one that are somewhat important to film franchise fortnight's and the cult option podcast
0: uh is it oscar the grouch and darth vader show
1: up uh no oscar the grouch and darth vader are in the film obviously oscar the grouch we saw in <laughs> the sesame street films last year um which this is actually carol spinney uh, his last film um, because he retired oh, wow. um, from acting in 2018 and died in 2019 um so yeah i mean 10 years before but he didn't do any, any films after that but no um you are at the air and space museum um when mm-hmm. they, they they bring the tablet through so that Brings everything to life and all the launch sequences start. There's a very brief cameo from uh, one Clint Howard as um, a yes. mission control tech um, because he's reprising he's reprising his role from Apollo uh, 11 or 13. I thought oh, that's look, what it was. Yeah, yeah. What's the movie? Apollo 11. Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Fuck. Looks like it. 13's eight. the
0: one that they made the movie they, they, about. Yeah, 11. Yeah. <laughs> 11 was the, the, the Neil Armstrong. On one. The
1: yeah. Yeah whoopsie
0: right starting the podcast again for a second
1: time, a second time. <laughs> um so this is our one two three four fifth sixth clint howard franchise we always talk about how he pops up <laughs> and everything there's only six franchises can you name them one Oh my god one that we didn't cover on the podcast
0: oh my god
1: like he's he's in a film we covered later
0: oh so he's in like a one we did for the patreon
1: yeah when you think clint howard films what what do you think of franchises
0: i think of um a- is he in an earbud? No. He's Oh, a Beethoven, he's in a yeah, Beethoven. He's in Beethoven's pardon. Fifth. I was thinking Beethoven, not earbud. Oh, yeah. I said earbud by mistake. Um is he in He's not in Revenge of the Nerds, that's Curtis Armstrong.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um um I'll put I'll put you out of Misery. He's um in American Pie Girl's Rules, yep. which is the one we covered on Patreon. Oh, of uh he's in Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> he's in all three austin powers movies and he's in the original jungle book from 1967
0: <laughs> who's he play mowgli
1: uh no he's like a commander's son oh, he's like wow, a little kid in it, but yeah um because he because he was a child actor much like mm. his brother ron
0: it's weird to think of him as the guy who always pops up in franchises only to really put the answer to them. and be like it's not really that true mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in a few that you'd notice but like most of them aren't um yeah yeah <laughs> i think that's yeah. what it, and richard real i'm mixing up for three dude. yeah
1: um okay so yeah what did you think of this film the first time watching it
0: yeah, I really like this one. I again, um, I don't think it's mind blowing, and I, I think out of all three, this is the one that leaves me with the most questions about its so mm. internal logic of the world.
1: Well, because as you so rightly pointed out, the entire plot of the film wouldn't happen if Larry mm. remembered from the first film that you could turn yes the um the the tablet off, which isn't like they retconned that piece out of it because it's important to the plot of the third one.
0: Yeah. So we should go back. So earlier in this week when I was watching this film, I messaged you and I was like, am I going crazy? Or is there like a massive glitch and a massive plot hole in this and you're like what do you you mean so in the first night of the museum an entire like the entire third act climax is predicated on the fact that the tablet one of the little panels in the tablet gets turned and it it, you know disarms the magic so that when ben Stiller and larry daly is showing his son nicky what happens at the museum at night it doesn't work and his son just thinks he's gone crazy and it's that's when it's revealed that dick van dyke and and all those guys are are the bad guys because they've stolen the tablet and they the way they turn it back on again is as nikki twists the um the panel um which reignites the magic something which larry tells him to do meaning larry knows explicitly that that's how you turn the tablet on and off and then in this one it's not it's not the it's not necessarily um Like, what am I trying to say? It's not that they need to turn it off. It's that turning off would solve the problem. It's because if they. Because he's got the tablet for most of the movie because he's trying to solve the puzzle on it. And. If you just turned it off, like the the ticking clock is made up from, um, Hank Azaria puts little tiny Owen Wilson in a hourglass, and so Larry has to has to work out the code within an hour, or else Jedediah will suffocate in the sand. Um, but if you turned the panel on the tablet. Um. Not only would all of your obstacles stop, like the <laughs> yeah. the evil mummy that's trying to take over the world would cease to be alive, but also Jedediah would um, like naturally not be breathing anymore.
1: Become inanimate.
0: Become become inanimate, so he wouldn't. He has all the time in the world to save it or bid mm, it's for. B- <laughs> or better yet he would have all the time in the world to just remove Jedediah from the hourglass uh, burn the evil mummy <laughs> I guess and just remove everything you know it's such I, I really wish that um, our, that my best friend Thomas Lennon had thought of this
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I mean maybe to be fair maybe he, he their plan was to just retcon that part of the magic and just you know ignore mm. it in the sequels because there are things like that but um, mm. then he he didn't write the third one, and someone uh, watched the first one and was like, "Well, we should bring this back."
0: Right. Well, there you go. Um,
1: but yeah, one thing that um that is interesting about these two sequels. So Ricky Gervais's character, who's the 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 curator of the museum, in two and three, is so like befuddled, and and at three, like explicitly learns the secret of the night at the museum, um. But in the first one, did you get that he is, he knows?
0: No, I didn't think he knew.
1: Because, so, when when he comes He doesn't in... know,
0: because he doesn't believe Larry when he tells him that, you know, he's like, he's like, why is the cowboy in the ancient Rome exhibit?
1: Yeah, exactly. He says, why is the cowboy in the ancient Roman exhibit? But he says you didn't look a watch over the exhibits good enough. He doesn't say you switched them. Ah, so you think he knew? I think he knew and was playing it cool in the first film. And I think that was like the plan that like, had they written the third film or like been more consistent in the second film, that it would have been like a wink. I always knew kind of thing. Who do you think put the, the right. tablet there? Um, because also the way he, just the way he reacts to like the cavemen, He's like, ugh, like seeing the caveman battle. He's not like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? He's just like, ugh. But yeah, the the line, <laughs> the, the the line saying you didn't watch over them well enough is so telling. I think that line says a lot. Um,
0: right. Interesting, because he does also get told. Larry tells him the truth at the end mm. of the second one. No, no, he tells him at the start of the third one because at the end of the second one, um, Larry somehow convinces him that it's all just special effects um, and they, yeah. they revitalize the museum's um, sort of, uh, you know, it's mm. not popular with the kids anymore. But the way they, they fix that is they turn the tablet on at night and so all the things come alive and people think it's just insanely good special effects for 2009 yeah. um, before Larry reveals to him at the start of the third one that it is magic
1: yeah the other one about um the thing about Ricky Gervais's character is that it feels like they forgot what his character was because the whole joke the whole running joke of his character in the first film is that he never finishes the sentences and he and he just doesn't do that in two and three (laughs)
0: <laughs> i didn't know and it's, it's
1: like you've forgotten how to write this character you've forgotten that that was a running joke because you watch the first film and he gets to being like you know for me once shame, you know, shame on you yeah yeah <laughs> like <and> like <laughs> he, he, every like almost every single sentence in that script he mm. he just trails off and doesn't finish and then it actually culminates in ben stiller finishing the for me once um you know shame on mm. shame on me um thing and right. yeah, it's just funny that it's like, that was quite a fun running gag. And then to just completely abandon that is, is a strange mm. um, choice. Mm. But it, like, it actually, because it's such a minor thing as well, it actually just feels like you just forgot you did that in the first one.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So, um... What did you, What I do you think of? You? Um, yeah, and what does it have on Ron Tomatoes? What? Are, what are your? Per, what does Richard Tomatoes give it? That's the real. Oh,
1: what do you? Uh, what do you think it has on Ron Tomatoes?
0: So, uh, I mean, they if they're all consistent.
1: Well, the first one was forty three, yeah. and that's the lowest one of the franchise, and we think it's consistent. Okay, so 45? 44. Fucking <laughs> hell! <laughs> 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 so I had seen this movie before. I remember seeing it in the cinema. Um, I remember. Uh, noticing the Jonas Brothers are playing the Cherubs and then, and then mm-hmm. thinking, like, oh, how do I know those angelic voices? And then they start singing Love Bug. And I'm like, oh, yeah, their 2009 hit song, Love Bug, like, of course. Um, <laughs> because they showed up
0: in this and I was like, is that the Jonas Brothers? And I had to Google when the Jonas Brothers got big because I was like, was 2009
1: too early for
0: the Jonas Brothers?
1: No, nah, it was like, so, so Love Bug had come out in 2008. so. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. it's fully. Um, it's a very like, okay, Mm. kind of moment. But um, (laughs) yeah, and and I I remember liking it. Um, I think I mean I was sixteen when I saw this, and um, tell you what, we covered sexual awakenings um on the podcast uh, fairly recently, (laughs) and it's funny because I've always had like a little bit of a crush on Amy Adams, and. Mm. I don't really, I don't, like, love any of them. And I haven't seen, uh like, Enchanted, which are, like, some of the, I guess she is in the Muppets movie, to be fair. You like her in Arrival? Yeah, but it's, like, like I, you know, going to see Arrival, I would have been, like, oh, I love Amy Adams, you know? Right. And it's kind of, like, and it's, like, if you'd asked me, I would be, like, yeah, I guess because she's in the Muppets. Like, I guess that's where I was first introduced to it. But, no, it's because of this and mm. like my god i had such a crush on her like specifically and i don't want to get too gross here but she's wearing these like skin tight pants and i mm. think like i think night of the museum battle of the smithsonian is like what made me an ass man <laughs> <laughs> There's a there's a fun out of context quote for you.
0: Wow, Amy Adams, congratulations! Um, but according to IMDb
1: trivia, she hated having to wear the skin tight pants that her character wore because it showed off her behind. So you know now I feel like a dick. <laughs> oh, well is it
0: because is it because Amelia Earhart shouldn't be a sexualized character and she should be uh, recognized as? Well, like, No, that's you the know. thing.
1: She's not sex. I wouldn't say she's necessarily sexualized in the film. I think she's wearing period accurate clothing maybe right. no that probably not now that i I thought seen you were gonna that, say I mean,
0: period pants
1: yeah <laughs> um but you know you like you would probably be wearing those like reasonably form-fitting kind of things and yeah i mean we don't need to do on this
0: <laughs> <laughs> she, she i mean she gives a good performance she's it reminded me a lot of um kate blanchett and the aviator playing audrey hepburn that is the very how's it going fly boy kind
1: of thing Catherine hepburn
0: what, what did i say audrey hepburn Oh, right, are they
1: related? Uh that's. I feel like I should know the answer. Or are there
0: two? Are there two separate famous old timey Hepburns? A, a last name I have never heard in any other context, if not yeah, yeah. Catherine or or Audrey.
1: Audrey Hepburn is not related to Catherine Hepburn.
0: That's insane. Um, they do. They yeah, do have. So-
1: they do have a lot in common. However, according to Google, talent, beauty, the same star sign, multiple acting awards.
0: <laughs> that is a lot in common you're right <laughs> um, yeah and, and so she she gives a great performance but I do want to I do want to talk about just her role in the story and again this is another one of the like things that it's, you, remember when we did Toy Story and we were like I I, ha- I introduced a new segment called I Have Some Questions where I questioned the the logic of the universe and the magic <laughs> yeah, right. Night at the Museum is, is a franchise which just pushes me into that headspace and I'm not doing this to cherry pick and I'm not doing it even to really criticize the movie this is just how my brain works right and i'm watching this movie and so she um the whole time her and ben stiller her and larry daly have kind of a a a love story going throughout it yeah. um, even though she's a come-to-life wax figure at the end of the movie he, he struggles to tell her the whole time that you know as soon as the tablet goes away or the sun comes up um that you, you'll cease to be living so a devastating thing to tell anyone um something that buzz lightyear certainly didn't take well um <laughs> in a similar in a similar movie and at the end of this movie um she, after they save the day she says he says to her like you've got to go and she's like i know what happens at sun light and talks, you know is sort of at peace with it so first of all that's very interesting and we see a, a similar beat in the third film where it's like these um these brought to life wax creatures and people um are seemingly aware of their impending mortality and and they um <laughs> you know that, that this can't last forever and in fact there is a very interesting scene in the first film um which doesn't really feel like it sticks the the logic of this doesn't really feel like it sticks around the rest of the series where robin williams as teddy roosevelt s- confesses to larry i'm not teddy roosevelt i'm a mannequin who was made in Poughkeepsie he almost drops his accent a little bit and reveals like i'm just playing a role yada 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 which i it just brings up so many questions question. So like they they all kind of know that they're gonna die, then or they all know that they're not really what they're dressed up as, which if they know that, then why do why does um you know why does Jedediah still insist on acting like a cowboy and Octavius still insist on acting like a Roman general? Like it's it's so interesting that they would they because would, you could make these movies and not delve into these implications and and i really wouldn't think of them but they kind of look them in the face and like i think it's hard to tell a story where you want to have a thematic statement to say about um a character who'll turn to dust if the sunlight catches them because that's not a real life thing that can't happen in real life and so they they write a admittedly quite compelling um tragic love story in the second one between larry and amelia earhart but then they don't really know how to take that anywhere existential because it's not really an applicable lesson to real life because in real life you won't turn to dust if the sun comes up um but to make it even more strange at the end of the movie so larry's like i've got an idea of how to save the museum and the idea as i said before is they don't hide the magic and that when um he he quits his job as because he's now a um He's now a successful inventor. He quits that job. Um, which side note? Did you feel like Larry didn't like his new job in of the museum too? As
1: an inventor, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, sure. Because the the arc of his character is he, he goes back to doing what he loves, which is being a night guard. And I didn't feel like he disliked his new
1: life. Right, yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, anyway. Do we get the sense of like unfulfillment, I guess? Not really. Uh, Not really. I yeah, don't no, think he's so anyway. Happy. He's hanging out with George Foreman.
0: Yeah, if, and if anything, like... And they they could have done this, and it would have been fine, but like um, if anything, like they mentioned how he gets paid like eleven dollars an hour in the first one, and so I'm watching this being like, don't go back to your your shitty night guard job when you've got like you know you're being successful as a as a um as a infomercial product salesman um. But anyway, he he quits his job and, and sells his company and uses that to buy back all the figures that were going to get shipped off and he brings out the tablet so that people can come into the museum and see a, a T-Rex skeleton come to life and they think it's an animatronic but Larry knows and the audience knows it's actually magic. And then while he's there, he looks over and he sees Amy Adams turn up. And it's, it's not Amelia Earhart, it's Amy Adams playing a separate character and he goes yes. up to her and is like, do do test there we go he goes up to her and is like do we know each other and she's like no and he's like are you related to amelia earhart and she's like no and then it ends with um him going to show her something in the in the mm. museum because she's sort of like, lost uh, which
1: is a reference to amelia earhart um, right getting lost and being uh, mm. presumed dead um and have yeah voyage. another
0: thing they don't really they don't really draw your attention to which is in my opinion why you'd get amelia earhart in the story why you'd get you it <laughs> like well, why would you why go through the effort of
1: getting <laughs> amelia earhart in your film and not doing that well i mean it was like, in her contract not to mention it
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a fun ex-
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place
0: wax amelia earhart thinks that her destiny is to disappear you know Mm. and they don't really touch on that anyway my point is is that it's it it doesn't quite know how to end its love story and so he goes off with her and then she's not on the third one so presumably it didn't work out yeah Um, it's just it feels like an abandoned plot thread um and a weird way to 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 tie a bow on a love
1: story Mm. yeah strange stuff strange stuff
0: and also, uh the the tablet brings paintings to life in this one in the sense that you can go inside paintings and portraits. You can skidoo. Yeah, you can skidoo. And he goes inside the one of the like the sailor kissing the woman after mm. the after World War Two and meets Jay Baruchel in there, um, whom he leaves accidentally leaves his phone with. And then in <laughs> like the last scene of the movie, you f- find out that Jay Baruchel is playing someone or other motorola. Joey which motorola. means... Joey Motorola, which means that the 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 photo in the Smithsonian yeah. allows Larry to time travel. It's not yeah. just he goes to like in the third one they go inside the MC Escher steps stairs painting, and it's like that I can accept in the world of Night of the yeah, Museum I,
1: Wacky Steps, I think it's called.
0: Yeah, yeah, Wacky Steps, and that's that's you know you can go inside that world, but in this it explicitly confirms that time travel is a possibility, and they go and, and like that's that's a whole movie in and itself <laughs> that they don't that they don't dwell on so i thought that was funny i also thought it was funny that it, it, he just straight up opens the underworld in this movie yeah, the yeah, climax yeah, yeah. The <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> like the egyptian underworld breaking loose which i was like this is a completely different movie as well i say all these things like criticisms i did like this one i thought it was quite
1: fun mm. yeah same
0: mm. oh one other thing, in at the start of Night at the Museum two, when uh, Larry turns up at the museum and um, the all the all the exhibits have been replaced with holograms, he turns on the Teddy Roosevelt hologram, who comes along and says something as Robin Williams playing the character, and I'm just like, all right. who's the voice actor for this hologram?
1: <laughs> because it's
0: the same voice as the the character who comes to life every night, you know, like it's it's this mm. it's the strange like um like it's just just like if it was just the wax statue i would assume this is just what Teddy roosevelt sounded like but it's the ac- it's accurate to what the hologram character does and there's no explanation for this <laughs> so many implications yeah. so many implications
1: all right yeah um i've got some dino db trivia here for us mhm uh, so, you mentioned a plot hole earlier in the film, but um, Dumb Own DB disagrees with you.
0: I'm glad. I'm happy to be proven wrong.
1: Because, according to this piece of Dumb Own DB trivia, the biggest unexplained plot hole is the absence of any other night guards, apart from Brundon <laughs> and the Underground Guard, especially considered the vast site, its location, and importance to both the USA and the world. Additionally, no one seems to notice anything on CCTV, and nothing is on the city streets such as cops doing night patrol etc so that wasn't the biggest plot
0: i'm glad that i was wrong and yeah what i said being the biggest plot hole and not that it was going to explain yeah yeah
1: So the the scene where Octavius confronts the squirrel on the lawn of the White House parallels the scene front the first movie where he and Jed sabotage the van. Both scenes intercut the action with a wide shot that emphasizes the small size of the characters. I mainly copy and pasted this one because this is our second film franchise which has um, scenes intercut with the action with a wide shot that emphasizes the small size of the characters after Ant-Man. <laughs> Paul, both Paul Rudd <laughs> franchises too.
0: Yes, true.
1: The majority of the film takes place in one night, giving a further meaning to the title Night at the Museum.
0: I was going to bring this up, that the first one is called Night at the Museum because it's like, this is what happens at night, night at the night, museum.
1: Night as in the time of day. Like, Yeah,
0: yeah. whereas this one is a single night at the museum.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> this one is more... Um, Richard was dumb, I to be trivia, but it was also dumbly okay. worded. So this just says mm-hmm. Jake Cherry's last film before he was replaced by actor Skylar Gizondo Gizondo. <laughs> that like I, I read this and I was like, What the fuck? They, they just <laughs> replaced an actor, but then they mean in the franchise. Yeah. So jake so Jack, Jake Cherry who plays-, plays Nikki. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Ben Stiller's son, Larry Daly's son, is he's not played by the same guy in the third one. But the way that's worded it makes it sound like this is some kind of North Korean dictatorship where <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's what stood I read. stood out of as. line and so his role just in the in life
1: was replaced. <laughs> by Skylar Gizondo, <laughs> who's the kid from he's in a bunch of shit. He's in Booksmart. he's in the vacation uh reboot, which mm. we might be seeing him again next week or maybe we won't won't. Um, (laughs) because
0: because the voting is currently quite um yeah it's quite quite intense (laughs) Um, but he's also
1: in the social dilemma which uh is that um netflix documentary and he has a quite a large role in it which no one told me about before i watched it and it's it's Mm. fucking garbage and it's ridiculous (laughs) and and, oh my god it's the worst fucking thing i've ever seen (laughs) also uh dick van dyke mickey rooney and bill Cobbs don't show up in this sequel only the third installment okay um i forgot to mention it because i mentioned it the first time we recorded but not the second time but um uh dick van dyke's role in this film he's had a, like an almost 80 year career on screen and uh this was and the richard first... in
0: any of that time
1: <laughs> has he played a
0: villain could this uh, be his th- first this villain is
1: role? actually his only time playing an antagonist or at least it was because i remember reading that when the, the reading that piece of trivia when the film came out um yeah but it may it may I, I don't know what he's done since then
0: what does he do in mary poppins returns
1: yeah he plays a banker on that uh in scrubs he's not an antagonist but he is like a um not a not necessarily a positive force in the in the mm. show um he's, mm. got good, he's got a he's got a great role in scrubs but he um also mickey rooney uh we've mentioned him before but he had an 88 year career in in film and because he's in the third one coming up uh, in 2014 and also his role in the Muppets 2011, uh, because of those films, he had at least one film in every decade from the twenties to the tens, um, which was, which is 10 different decades. He appeared in, on film. It's wow. the longest film career in the history of the medium.
0: Wow. That's a great little
1: yeah, thing like, for
0: Mickey Rooney.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause, Cause like he, he started, he started acting in films when he was like four. And, he, and wow. right up until he was fucking in his 90s. I quite like
0: him in Night at the Museum as well. He's like a, just a shit old man. Like, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> it's funny.
1: Mm. He's um, He died aged 93 um, mm. in uh, 2014. So he actually did die before um, Night at the Museum. Uh, Came out, but uh, it was a little bit, the the third one came out, but it was a little bit overshadowed, but we will get to that. Mm. So Night at the Museum, uh, Secret of the Tomb, 2014, also directed by Sean Levy. Uh, What what do you think it is on Rotten Tomatoes? 46.
0: 47. Oh wow! So this is this is a rare example of the score actually getting higher with each yeah. movie. Like it's it's not they're not good scores, but rarely do we see it, it still go up one one to two each movie.
1: Well, being so consistent as well, like mm. the 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 entire franchise falls within a spectrum of four percent.
0: Have we seen anything like this before?
1: I I don't know. I mean, like for looking at specifically like. More than like more than two film franchises because those are quite easy to get. It's, it's mm. it would have to be you know very, very. I mean I guess um Toy Story. Yeah right. But true. It's just because they all there's an upper limit to it. You know.
0: Yeah. The only other time we've seen this happen is with what we've g- g- crowned the greatest film franchise that
1: exists. Mm. But but even that's like it almost feel like it's like okay yeah if it's 99 slash 100 it's like okay they're all just all the reviews are positive that's one thing um it is obviously an insane achievement on its own but for them to all sit around the exact Mm. same mark that like because because quite often you get films like this where it's like one's not really better or worse than the other one but it just one of them has 20% more or less yeah yeah like it, it, it it's crazy to see them them fall this um this closely together
0: it's such an unassuming franchise to have this kind of like landmark qualifier in in our in our canon in our compendium of film franchises mm. like the the only the only other kind of thing i can think of which is much better received um is i feel like the similar thing happened with the kung fu panda movies that there's there's a trilogy of them and none mm. of them are really Are really seen as the better or worse than the others, you
1: know? Mm. Um, so what is uh, another museum Secret of the Tomb about Secret
0: of the Tomb is about um, so uh, Larry is now running the the museum um, well he's not running it but he's you know the, his plan to bring the tablet out at night is, is successful and it's it's popping off but uh, the tablet itself has got some kind of weird curse on it where the magic is fading um, and the only way that he can fix it because when the magic fades everyone starts going cuckoo all the things brought to life by the um by the tablet star going nuts
1: absolutely cuckoo bananas
0: absolutely um and so he takes it to the british museum of natural history wherein uh Ra's parents um live uh with you know their mummies exist because they should mm-hmm. know how Very to fix nice. it um and so he they go there um a bunch of the characters tag along um, because it would be a shame for them to not. Yeah. And they have an adventure in the British Museum before it ends quite solemnly with um, all of the museum characters from the New York Museum saying that, hey, maybe the tablet should stay here with the mummies um and and mm, we will so take family can be together the, the family can be and you know they don't mention the brother that's not with them who died in the second film was because, because he was the villain
1: who's cast out to the underworld
0: yeah yeah but yeah so it, it ends quite solemnly with the characters um deciding to live a world as inanimate it's a
1: very um toy story three ending yeah yeah where they they all just accept their fate and you know, like no, no, we got to save you, and they just go, no, actually, you know what, this is okay. And so, um, they have their final night at the museum, and they put them back, and they all just say, hey, like you know, we, we're accepting the fact that we mm. may never be animate again.
0: And am I to understand correctly the way the way they get around um, the fact that they would turn to dust if sunlight hits them is they catch a plane at night in London. Back mm. to New York, where they'll—I <laughs> guess—if they're in the box, they're not going to be seen by sunlight. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Never mind. Um, but yeah, they get back. It's like they've been awoken by the tablet, and they can now like you know get away. But yeah, they 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 make a point of saying like, yeah, if we get this flight, we can be back, and and it still be night at the museum. So yeah, a few new characters in this one. Um, you've got uh, Sir Lance a lot played by Dan Stevens, again following the tradition of um Ricky Gervais and. Jonah Hill you've got Rebel Wilson uh, 2014's Mm, Rebel Wilson playing the wacky security guard uh, at the British Museum uh, doing just like a silly British accent kind of thing also yeah uh, Mickey Rooney Bill Cobbs and Dick Van Dyke show up again Um, but yeah there's also a very strange cameo from Hugh Jackman and Alice Eve playing themselves Mm. um, because Lancelot goes along to a production of Camelot um, which is you know um, starring those two and they're like, no, no. Listen, mate. I'm Hugh Jackman, and uh, it's this is all fake, and that th- this whole thing. It's a, it's a very f- weird. Funny Hugh Jackman
0: thing. does this shit a lot. I think he's always doing yeah. cameos as himself, where he he has seems to have a good sense of humor about it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I will say though, I'm. It's funny. And it, like I think it's the difference between releasing a film in two thousand nine and th- two thousand fourteen, is that releasing a comedy movie in twenty fourteen, you you have to have a cameo. Like I remember, I can't remember what film it was, but I remember going to a film. It was something along the lines of Fist Fight, which I don't actually know if fits into this, but it's like just going to see a very generic studio comedy mm. and going, I wonder what the cameo will be, and right. and and having that 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 thought in my head and thinking like, wait, there's nothing to indicate there would be a cameo on it actually i think it might have been game night which isn't which isn't at all a generic studio comedy but it's it's a fantastic movie and then um what's his name dexter shows up at the end and i was like huh i guess that's the cameo (laughs) and it's like it feels like every studio comedy you go see has to have someone show up playing themselves or um you know just an actor who you would think is too good for the the role just show up and, and be funny for like a, a very brief moment. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just a weird thing that feels it feels like a very 2010s thing.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Let me ask you this, though. Alice Eve, is she famous enough to just be like, I'm Alice Eve?
1: Well, she's no uh, Luke Youngblood.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> um, so we, we once had a discussion about who the least famous person to play themselves is. <laughs> and we decided that it was uh, Luke Youngblood uh plays himself um in Dr. Ken. Uh Dr. Ken, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Luke Youngblood whose magnitude and um community. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, there's a fun little
0: But I, I like and and Alice Eve is more famous than Luke Youngblood. But the way they do it in the movie is that in, in Night in the Museum it, it sh- of the two, It should be
1: Nicole Kidman.
0: It should be Nicole Kidman. It should be someone yeah. who you immediately recognise, but it's someone who you may recognise but then be like Oh, her name is Alice Eve. I did not know that was the name of that
1: actress. (laughs) Mm, mm. Yeah, not you mean. So you hadn't seen this movie before. You hadn't seen the sequels.
0: No, I hadn't seen this one. And let me just say, like, usually when I look at a movie series and I go, I don't know which one's my favorite or which one I like the more, the most. I think a lot of the times I'm. I'm lying. <laughs> or at least, like, like gun to my head, I could tell you what I think is probably the most well-received one. But with this trilogy, like, genuinely, and it's not, to be perfectly honest, I'm not even really complimenting it. I'm genuinely just like, mm. I don't think there is a best one. I think they're all about as good as each other.
1: Yeah. Mm. No, no. Nice. So, yeah, I, I hadn't seen this film before either, and this is um actually... It's one of sixteen franchises where I've seen all but one of the films, um, <laughs> prior to watching the podcast. To uh, you know, doing the podcast, a lot of those are two film franchises though. Um, so, not include the two two film franchises. You've got Spider Man, um, which as we covered it, i the only one I hadn't seen was uh, Amazing Spider Man Two, but we covered it with the Raimi films. Right, the Hobbit or Middle Earth because I'd seen the first two and not the third one, um, or the sixth one depending on how you look at it. Spikers didn't watch the fourth one. Uh, Meet the parents. Never saw Little Fockers. Um, but mm. I that kind of because I'm not including the original, um, the Planet of the Apes right. reboot and Indiana Jones, which I hadn't seen Temple of Doom. But also actually one other fun, uh, or you know. Maybe it may or may not be considered fun. Uh, addition to this, is uh, I watched Die Hard 2 for the first time for this podcast. But I'd seen the other four
0: tying the lost episodes together,
1: yeah. So, this is uh, <laughs> um, yeah, with, with the Hobbit, Spy Kids, Meet the Parents, the and the Apes reboot, this is like the f- uh, what one fourth, fifth franchise where I watched them. As th- and liked them and they just never saw the last one.
0: <laughs> um and another another fun stat, Richard, is that this is our second franchise in a row in which a character is looking for the Holy Grail in the third film in the series. Mm. Because Lancelot, played by um uh Dan Stevens, is uh look it briefly mentions he's looking for the Holy Grail in this um and it's more sort of a throwaway joke but I did think it was funny to have two a twofer with Last Crusade from Indiana Jones and then this one um, but yeah, Dan Stevens is yeah. great in this movie. I love Dan Stevens, and he's he's, he's a compelling. Fun. He he double crosses them, so he's he's a bit of a villain. And there's a the final confrontation. Um, his he's he's made of wax, and his nose is melting. And my God, I thought that was funny. Like <laughs> the idea of taking a scene which which without a certain element wouldn't wouldn't be like would would fit in a drama, but adding a superficial comedic element to it yeah. makes it perfect for a comedy. Because his nose is melting and. It's flopping around like squidward during the like emotional climax of the movie yeah. um and i i just thought that was so funny yeah <laughs> um
1: but so i quite enjoyed this film uh, i actually ended up rating it um higher than the other two um but that oh. is um specific because i was like you know ready to come in here and be like this is a perfect three and a half star franchise i ended up giving this film four stars and so that is because obviously you referenced it earlier on but this this film has this like really solemn meta-textual element to it that this um this is robin williams's last on-screen performance um he is in one other film after, that came out after this called absolutely anything which do you know about this film
0: uh, okay i knew about the angriest man in brooklyn Did that Oh yeah, that, was, that was before, that was before but
1: yeah do you know about absolutely anything no um it looks fucking awful um i remember it like being announced like before, you know, before he passed away and thinking, like, mm. fuck, that sounds like absolute shit. <laughs> and then he, par- and then, oh my God. So it's, it's, um, stars Simon Pig and it's about he's like imbued with these, ah, yes, powers of, um, being able to do absolutely anything part of that is that he allows his dog to speak and his dog is played by robin williams but he's given these powers by right. a group of very terribly terrible looking cgi aliens uh, played by john cleese terry gilliam eric idol terry jones and michael palin obviously members of yeah, I, Python. I, I
0: remember the trailer for this oh one. my
1: god and so um yeah, I'm not counting. I mean, I know, obviously, this is Robin Williams' last performance he left us, but that's that, that's not an on-screen, um, you know, his on-screen mm-hmm. persona. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I like you, I'd, so I hadn't seen this film before, but I had seen the, the clip of, like, Robin Williams, like, you know, final moments on screen. And what it is is that he's saying goodbye to Larry, or Larry's saying goodbye to him. And he hops up on his horse, which we've seen to do every time. And then you know he pulls, he strikes his pose, and then turns to wax. And but he has this final conversation with Larry, where you know he's he's like, "Well, I can't be a night guard anymore because you know you guys aren't going to come alive." And he says, "I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow." And Ron Williams says, "How exciting!" And it's it's such a mm. beautiful line. And then he it's he magical. he hops it up on his sparkles as he says it. He hops up on his on his horse strikes his pose and then goes bully <laughs> and like gives Larry a fright <laughs> and it's like and it's this great again it's this like great like final Robin Williams thing that it's like a a beautiful solemn moment and then you know doing it doing a quick laugh and then um he's like ah, I got you but then he says final line he delivered on screen and in his, in his entire career is he says smile my boy it's sunrise and my God, I just, I think that's the most fucking beautiful like thing I've ever seen. I've, I've like, mm. it, when I first watched this clip and in, in, you know, 2015 being like, oh, what was this final scene in, in Night of the Museum? I was just like blown away by this line. And it's like, Mm. I can't even necessarily take it like just this, the idea, like the idea of sunrise obviously is like, it's the night ending and the day beginning. And it's like this beautiful time of transition. And obviously it looks, you yeah, know, it, it looks beautiful, but just the smile, my boy at sunrise is just like hands down to, for me, one of like the most beautiful fucking lines of dialogue um, in film history. But, um, and it's, you know, it's obviously, especially because of the meta meta-textual elements. And so I knew this was coming mm-hmm. and as like they 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 come back to New York and there's this moment where like, you know, he says goodbye to Jedediah and, and Octavius. And then he says goodbye to Attila the Hun, who we haven't even mentioned yet, but um, Attila the Hun is a character in these films and he speaks uh Hunnish, which is an improvised language um, that they just, you know, sort of make vague language sounds throughout the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. And, At the end, and they've had this kind of, you know, vaguely antagonistic relationship, but they they team up, but you know, there's always a bit of animosity there. And as they're saying goodbye, Attila says, "My friend," and I was like, "Holy shit!" And I and I started to well up.
0: This is getting to you.
1: (laughs) It is, and I like I I genuinely I started to well up, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that the goodbye to Attila the Hun." Is actually like making me. I started to have the, tears. Well the up least my eye. funny
0: of all the main the main yeah. museum characters.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and then when the and then I think he says goodbye to Dexter after that. And I was like, oh yeah, this is just a weird one because he kisses the monkey on the mouth. <laughs> and it's it's a very strange one, but I thought it was kind of funny. And then it cuts to Robin Williams, or Teddy Roosevelt, saying goodbye to Sakajawea, who's another character we haven't mentioned, who's um, in all of these films. And it, the plot part of the first film is that he has this. uh, Teddy Roosevelt has a crush on Sacagawea and Mm -hmm. they they end up becoming essentially together. And as soon as it like cut to Robin Williams and, and her saying goodbye, I started to like genuinely full on cry and like legit, I haven't cried since February of last year. (laughs) <laughs> like I cry so infrequently.
0: Why did why did you cry then?
1: It was a, it was personal.
0: <laughs> do I know about this? Uh, I think <laughs> why so. Why did you cry? <laughs> um Do you remember when you're do you remember when you're a kid in primary school and people <laughs> like or if I died, would you cry? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Or like, so your, your mate goes to his Nana's funeral and when you see him the next day, you're like, did you cry? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, you know, especially in New Zealand as well, there's a lot of things around keeping your emotions bottled up. And I'm not just saying this to like sound tough or cool, although I hope you do think I am tough and cool. I think
0: crying is tough and cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I cry so often. I wish I could cry more often kind of thing. Oh, um, But yeah, February, February last year, I... I was really upset about something and I was like, you know what? I'm going to cry. And I put on the Chester Bennington tribute concert where they perform in the end with their favorite guest of the night, you, the audience. And that, that gets me every time. Um, and you know, just like watched a bunch of shit, so listen to a bunch of sad songs. And so that I could actually just like force tears out of myself and, and had a cry.
0: Any sad moment from lost is what gets me. Just, yeah. just while we're men- mentioning our, our, um, prompts to tearing up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but when, um, also one that like I have to stop myself every time um, because i start to generally start emotions start to well up is um when the whole band and the rest of the muppets come in when they do rainbow connection in the 2011 <laughs> film um like just listening <laughs> to that <laughs> listening to the this the, the, the on spotify um because rainbow connection was my most played song on my spotify wrapped this year but they're, they're from the the original film not that version because i can't listen to it um without you know wanting to cry but um yeah. so yeah Anyway, genuinely, last time I, I I actually cried was February of last year, and the the time because when when you talk about crying in a movie, it's quite often you know just a single tear rolling down your cheek kind of thing. I think I mentioned in um, when we did Fast and Furious that like seven um, actually kind of either did or almost made me cry watching Toy Story three um, when we did that. That it, but those were very much like single tear. The way I cried in Night at the Museum: Secret of the Tomb um was like actually like a full-on cry (laughs) and i haven't i haven't actually cried at a movie like this since i saw the impossible when it came out in the cinema and that was 2012
0: (laughs) i love how many fucking just insane like insanely different movies we're throwing out here to describe (laughs) when we've cried um
1: but like like fucking a couple of weeks ago I was like I need to cry mm. <laughs> um, maybe a month or so ago and so I put on big fish I was like this always makes me cry and I didn't cry but yeah, yeah my god so I like I knew this scene was coming and so I knew it was coming up. but then the f- and I was like oh it's gonna be sad I'm gonna be emotional but then I didn't fucking expect Attila the Hun saying goodbye and calling Larry his friend mm. to like re- get those fucking waterworks turned on and then it just mm. cut to Robin Williams and I just started full-on crying and it yeah. felt good. Like Jess started to make fun of me for um, crying, and I was like, "You actually, I have, I, I've needed this for so long."
0: <laughs> Jess doing her part for New Zealand's toxic masculinity. I know, right? I was like,
1: Jess, you fucking cried everything. <laughs> <And of laughs> course, she cried when I said that. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. But um, um. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, like I, I made, I, I wrote about in my letterbox review that this film made me cry, and uh, like. I want everyone to know how not only was I not joking or, or lying or any, like a hint of any kind of sarcasm, but how monumental of an achievement that is. Because
0: And it's from I, this movie we, we all agree, uh, fine. Mm. <laughs> this trilogy that we all agree are like, yeah, pretty good. They're yeah. all about three stars. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I, I
1: wish I could cry. I, I envy people who cry more, um, more fun, oh yeah
0: it's it's a superpower oh um, does oh. this does night of the museum is Night of the museum then our third franchise in which um it unintentionally contains a poignant scene from an actor who would die before mm. like you, you know would die because because you've got um paul walker and far and furious 7 but also um um and i I can find this out because it's our most watched uh desmond llewellyn who played q Mm -hmm. in most of the james bond movies his final scene before he died was in um the world is not enough where he's like is literally being lowered on a elevator and you see him like exit frame and and what could have been seen as somewhat of a poignant way Mm. (laughs) hmm
1: but yeah, like uh, to to me, that final scene saying goodbye to Robin Williams is like, it's this film's. Do you think, or this franchise's? Do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he created? That it's like, yeah, this this fucking gorgeous thing, and it's like, oh my god, what a what a perfect piece of dialogue, what a perfect performance and perfect moment. Yeah, do you know that's from Spy Kids too? Do you know that's from Night at the Museum's yeah, yeah. Secret of the Tomb? Hmm. I mean obviously it's it's slightly different because it the mechanic of him saying goodbye only works because it's not at the museum.
0: Yeah. Do you, and it's 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 it does like to bring it into the conversation of the trilogy as a whole it is interesting how that um line and that ending is like a definitive ending to a trilogy i don't think mm. i expected yeah. night at the museum to be a complete series that's the thing and
1: it. so like i mean I, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about secret of the tomb i, well, I will quickly say one uh, i i didn't bother to count, but we've done so many goes to london sequels it feels like such a trope mm. uh two it, the stakes are like or the the plot it's like you know how mad max fury road is literally just a u-turn that's the entire movie um it's like this really simplified thing this is just like the 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 plot of night at the museum is uh take a thing at night to someone they say put it in the moonlight and yeah that's right i
0: did think that as well
1: it's such a, a weirdly simple like straightforward quest for the thing
0: well it's more the solution is is like is like almost a frustratingly simple yeah if you're just problem. taking it outside it's to, to fix fine. the tablet you just put it in a moonlight
2: mm.
0: <laughs> yeah uh no the only yeah. other thing i wanted to wanted to question is like what are the full ramifications of the power of the tablet because i was thinking because they kind of go into it in this one and because i'm thinking like it must be that it's it's designed so that the 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 pharaoh's family can live forever, can always be together. Basically, mm. that's what they tell you. It was designed for, but it works on mannequins. So therefore, the the terms of the magic must be pretty vague. It, it reminds me of um how like what was the specific wording of what um uh, spoilers for Endgame, Avengers Endgame when Tony snaps the Infinity Gauntlet, what is he thinking that makes it so that both everyone comes back and Thanos and is, you know, what specific one thought is he thinking to to get the snap to work? What specific magic is happening (laughs) that is both bringing things back from the dead and bringing back anything that, that resembles a human to life, but also like it makes models of vehicles work. It makes, you know, like what is the magic? And it also has to be contained within within a building but then also at one point they go outside and some stone lions come to life because they're in proximity of the
1: tablet Mm.
0: i i don't know Again, this isn't even a criticism. This is just how my mind works. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So that's kind of our discussion on uh, neither Museum uh, all wrapped up. Mm. Although, uh, we're not the only no ones discussing it uh, because we've got a new segment, or it's still a relatively new segment uh, for our podcast uh, called Meeting of the Elders. Um, so, mm. um, what was once our um, movie club? Uh, tier on patreon has been uh, you know revamped a little bit and it's now the cult elder tier uh, so if you join that tier you can uh, join an exclusive channel on our discord and you can um, give us give us your hot or cold takes uh, and we'll read them out of pod and discuss yeah
0: them. so if you want to get involved in this guys then head on over to patreon.com slash cult and join our cult alder tier and you'll get access to a secret discord channel yeah. um, where you can talk about this sort of thing with us
1: uh so Abra Dan lincoln because um you know put so everyone does fun night museum related um <laughs> names um said cold take they are really fun, wholesome, crowd-pleasing films for the whole family that undoubtedly have heavily improved foot traffic to museums. It was incredibly smart of the Smithsonian to work with the filmmakers because I remember peers discovering about the Smithsonian and wanting to go to D.C., but the Smithsonian doesn't have an underground system like that. LOL! <laughs> a, a rare capitalized LOL. <laughs> Um, which you don't usually see this size. the size of the side of two thousand and eight.
0: <laughs> don't see that every day anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh Smithsonian is there an X D an X D for good measure. Yeah.
1: Um uh he's, and he points out that the Smithsonian is a collection of free entry museums in Washington, DC. Although I you know, I, I Dan doesn't you know, they, they are there in the film. Dan maybe doesn't know mm. about any kind of underground tunnel systems because they probably want to keep them secret. <laughs> but it, it is uh that does one thing I point out that um Sean Levy was uh in an interview said that the Smithsonian, once they agreed to lend their name to the film, they were like incredibly helpful, willing to share information about the real life characters in the movie. And it was, it was the first film shot at the Smithsonian and you know, that they really, really ended up helping. But, um, Mm -hmm. It was uh, when they had um, the Darth Vader cameo um, that a Lucasfilm employee had to be on set and say what Vader would or wouldn't do. And so it's like, it's actually the fictional IPs that they're really precious about, not the real life Smithsonian Museum. (laughs) But yeah, there is apparently like, it's observable that there was like a massive influx of um, interest in museums after these.
0: Well, they achieved the same thing that is achieved in the movies exactly the, yeah. the, the madness going on yeah
1: uh so yeah, vincent nice. uh says uh, other than the whole franchise being a fun family adventure to be enjoyed the goodbye between teddy roosevelt and larry in the final movie is amazing and he quotes i have no idea what i'm going to do tomorrow how exciting got me the first time i saw the movie robin passing months before this released and having this beautiful goodbye is just emotional to watch couldn't agree more um mm. it's actually um uh it's kind of even sadder as well than you might think at first um because like uh there's there's an article written by uh, ron williams widow called the terrorist inside my husband's brain and it talks about how he had a rare thing called lew body disease which essentially it's it's like a it's a deteriorative um brain disease degenerative degenerative yeah um but like it like actually you know deteriorates your brain kind of thing but um so in between the two the last two night at museums he did like a a five month stint on broadway you know with like a two or three hour show and every night never missed a single word apparently like on the set of night at museum three he'd like he'd struggle to remember a single line at a time um and would get like you know really upset because like his just memory loss his memory had started to fade so much and the uh, like the dopamine neurons in his brain were starting to like so he actually just became unable to feel joy and all this stuff like it's it's a it's a tragic right. thing and it kind of like, i guess um yeah it sort of gets you a bit more into his headspace um for those for that last year or so mm. horrible horrible stuff mm. um and yeah it's it, it, it just make, it makes that goodbye just too emotional to watch. Michael, <laughs> yeah. um, Michael says I watched number three last night. That's my hot take because he lives with uh, a friend of mine who I work with. Who asked what I was doing after work? I said watching Night at the Museum three and um and i said you should watch it too and so he came home and (laughs) made michael watch it uh but michael also goes on to point out that the gala scene at the start of the third movie felt like a dolby atmos demo clip with all the things flying around the camera (laughs) which is such a fucking good observation michael that's so funny like it absolutely like because there's not only is there like all these things moving past but a lot of them are like light uh globes and stuff like that. Well it's, it's yeah.
0: because the the tablet brings like the Cosmos exhibit yeah. to light. Uh, yeah. to life. It's, it's, so it's so you see yeah. Orion and, and all these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. So funny. Uh before we move on, I forgot one piece of Dime Debbie trivia for Night of the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, um, which is mm-hmm. This is the only movie in the trilogy not to, be re- not to be released three years later, and not to show the full opening credits at the beginning. Uh, I mean, just as interesting as that, Battle of the Smithsonian is the only one not to be released five years later. Like, it mm. you can't say it's the only one when there's two.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 It favours the lesser, not the mm. yeah. <laughs>
1: Nice. All right. So that's uh meeting meeting adjourned. That's the other thing we say.
0: Oh uh, yes, that's right. yep
1: Meeting adjourned. Dum dum. Dun dun. <laughs> yeah. Uh so continue the franchise. This is a segment where we each pitch a continuation of the franchise. Um, and discuss what else is coming up potentially, or, or other things that we've missed for the franchise. So uh, I didn't mention it at the start, but this is actually now the museum is based on a book, right? A children's book called "The Night at the Museum" by Milan Trink,
0: which makes it our second Robin Williams franchise to be based on a book and feature a <laughs> stampede.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the book has a sequel, which came. So the book came out in 1983. And it had a sequel in 2013, um, which is very similar to Mm -hmm. Claddy with a Chance of Meatballs, where it's like... Yeah, you know, this classic children's book, and then they do a sequel like after the movies have come out. Mm-hmm. But the sequel is called Another Night at the Museum, which was the working title for the second film.
0: And if we can talk about titles just briefly, because oh, yes. there's not too much I, I want to say. I d- there is there is part of me that is like, would it have been better to be a night, the night, a night at the museum, another night at the museum, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I thought it'd be funny, since a knight is the main character, is the main villain, oh, yeah. and the third one to be like... Uh, Night K in at the museum, um. But I do have to say, like, in again, in a rare, in a rare, um, gold star for the Night of the <sighs> Museum trilogy. I have nothing, no complaints about these titles. Yeah. They are consistent. They are, you know, there's not. They don't have a numerical, you mm. know, there's no number in the titles of any of them, which I prefer. Um, they're both something of the something. Um, if I was to to say anything, I'd say like. Uh, battle feels like it's more epic than secret so it almost feels like they're like i assumed secret of the tomb was the second one until i actually looked at when they came out but that's not even really complaint but also even if you look at the posters of these movies next to each other it's this beautifully consistent design across all three movies and it's just it's yeah. we haven't seen something quite this satisfying from a franchise i don't think since like look who's talking mm. or um, maybe mission impossible <laughs> yeah like i just think these are these are wonderfully consistent titles and i love to see
1: it. yeah there's a couple of um posters for the first film which uh one which features like him looking away from the camera and this like bright light. Then there's one that's him facing towards that's the camera right, yeah, and yeah. the towards the camera is um, a lot more aligned with the other two. But yeah, that first one of him looking into mm. this blinding light is such a beautiful thing. Mm.
0: When you don't have to tell anyone that Ben Stiller is your main, yeah, yeah, yeah. your main actor. It?
1: Uh, you also mentioned their um, Mission Impossible, but um, uh, this is our second franchise to um, feature Running in st- uh, either from or inspired by Mission Impossible, um, uh, because apparently ben, Spill- <laughs> ben Stiller watched all the Mission Impossible movies and spoke to his friend Tom, uh, to get his running technique down uh, for the films.
0: <laughs> he he does turn into somewhat of an action star in these out of nowhere, it's pretty funny.
1: Oh, yeah, a little bit, yeah, and, it's, and to be fair, his running is like, I, yeah, impressed me mm. so yeah uh, other than that we've got uh the Alan Menken is working on a stage adaptation um musical um which has been in development for a uh, couple of years now um and uh, obviously a lot of the work had to be done remotely through zoom but uh most notably um we've got night at the museum Kamun ra rises again uh, which is a feature-length animated movie coming out next year on Disney+. Plus. Mm. So this was originally announced in 2018 to be a... TV series based on Night at the Museum, um, but has now, since yeah, we've found out, that it is a new movie, um, it's given that official title, "Cowan Ra Rises Again, uh, it'll be CGI animated, uh, centres on uh, Larry's son Nick, who is hesitant to follow in his father's footsteps as a Night Watchman, in addition to Nick and the titular villain, um, Hank Azari's character. Um, the movie will also feature returning characters Jedediah, Octavius, Teddy Roosevelt, and the addition of Joan of Arc what do you think of that okay interesting i'm I'm not happy about it
0: i with i i knew there was a fourth one coming out and it was going to be animated and it was something something rises again but i kind of thought i was kind of hoping it would be like enough of a soft reboot that i could still consider the original trilogy to be like this untainted, this untainted bastion of adequacy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas this, this, um, this feels like it could potentially be the worst to be be the bad apple and mm. remove its gold star status.
1: Yeah, well, it, like it is annoying because I, I did, yeah, I, like you said, I didn't realize that the third one was so beautifully complete, and mm. and it like completely ends the franchise definitively mm. and i'm worried that returning to that world uh, will well, another
0: def- medium as well
1: yeah the tv series was announced as being like a reboot and i think an animated night the museum series is like why has it why didn't this already happen you know like how yeah, did yeah, someone absolutely. not already think of this idea and make a saturday morning cartoon you know
0: yeah instead they're doing it well after the 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 coal has died down
1: yeah and they're sitting it in the same world it's it's bizarre they haven't announced yeah. a cast or anything like that so we don't know who's coming back if anyone... i reckon
0: no one will come back
1: <laughs> yeah I, I you don't need to you
0: don't need to bring anyone back for it
1: yeah i'm I, i'm very curious to see what the art style looks like as well actually Hank azaria might mm, might yeah, return
0: because he's a voice
1: actor <laughs> righty then what is your continue to franchise my continued franchise
0: is I reckon um I've got two ways I could go with this I thought of a a Halloween special uh called fright night at the museum nice and initially I thought this could just be like uh, there's a vampire exhibit that it, Turns up at the museum, or or like the museum is decorated to be Halloween esque, um, um, you know, by just someone who has no idea of what the powers of the tablet have, and then the whoever's the night guard then has to deal with like paper mache, uh, pumpkin jack jack o' lanterns coming to life, and you <laughs> yeah. know, like che- cheap two dollar store monsters coming to life. Um, so that's the first idea, but then I thought, what if it, and this is a lot more out there. What if it's just like a story about vam- like a vampire coven that like, ro- like nomadic vampires who roam, roam the roam America feasting and, and that, and they end up at the museum where they then have to just deal with this Egyptian curse or this Egyptian tablet bringing everything to life. And it's just like a really interesting, like crashing of two different magics together. Nice. Um, you know, like, what happens when a completely different film wanders into another film? <laughs> mm. It's funny,
1: like, after we criticised last, last time so much of, like, crashing two magis, magics together.
0: In Indiana Jones, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, if you do it on purpose, I think yeah, it, yeah. it works.
1: While watching the third film, I, like, I, I was thinking, like, oh, okay, I'll do Day at the Museum kind of thing. And it's like, oh, it's the next one. But then, oh, yeah. again, like, after realising that it's, day of
0: the museum and nothing happens yeah
1: yeah yeah it's just nothing happened but i did think that and then because that was the joke i was gonna make but i did think one thing that i'm surprised wasn't explored at any point is that a, the villain in night of the museum's plan should be to turn humans into wax right like i'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah okay i mean i wouldn't be like i genuinely i would not be surprised um and I'll, I'll almost be surprised if it's not this <laughs> that um that carmen rather rise when he rises again that, that that'll be his plan is to turn people into wax mm. but yeah so that, that's my idea day at the museum and it's about and it's a soft reboot so it's just um it's you know it's coming in no, assuming you kind of know the rules of night at the museum um or but it, mm. but it reintroduces you to the you to the world anyway but it's not larry and in the gang it's a new one but uh yeah the villains plan in it is to turn people into wax
0: my before having seen these my initial um idea was going to be like the tablet goes to some other like a a wax museum Mm. and like night of the wax museum because i was like how funny would it be to see like non-historical because theoretically the magic should apply regardless Mm. of if it's a historical figure or not but then darth vader and oscar the grouch appeared in yeah yeah um, yeah and the second one and i was like oh well i guess they did the idea that i was going to suggest <laughs> all
1: right now it's time for our favorite segment mm-hmm. i've got go <laughs> ranking the franchise
0: sweet so if you guys go over to our letterboxd account we have a, a a list called fff ranking where we uh rank every single franchise we've ever watched this is our uh 143rd franchise Um, And we're going to rank it alongside these. Interestingly enough, as we've sort of teased, what would have been a great reveal, but I, I announced it too early by accident um, is that this is a rare example we have of what we consider at least for the moment to be a gold star franchise uh, which is when a franchise does not have any entries in it which would be considered necessarily the weakest by a large margin um, other franchises that carry a gold star include Toy Story the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy Three Colors Blue um, Kill Bill the Evil Dead um, Fistful of Dollars the Raid uh kung fu panda i think that's all of them so this this is it's a pretty you know if we're in agreement that this is a gold star franchise then this Mm -hmm. is a pretty um rare occasion and i don't think since we invented the gold star have we actually assigned one
1: yeah yeah true (laughs) all right so i think um franchises that this is probably comparable to i mean Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's definitely above the nymph constant. Um mm-hmm. you mentioned Kung Fu Panda earlier. Do you think it's better or worse than Kung Fu Panda? I think it's worse than Kung Fu Panda. But not worse than Happy Feet. Um hmm, another Robin Williams <laughs> 2006 oh my God, top I've, ten highest grossing film.
0: I've accidentally dragged um Daddy's Home up instead of Night of the Museum. Let me just fix this. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, you're doing it. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just that cancel the <laughs> So, um so it goes between Kung Fu Panda and Happy Feet. at number 50.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good place to put Night of the Museum.
1: It. <laughs> and so <Nary> stroppy. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right now there's uh not much left to do but uh one thing is to reveal what franchise we're going to be discussing next week and how how do we decide it this week Aj?
0: so uh usually well not usually sometimes we'll draw a random number and that'll tell us what our next franchise is but to this this fortnight is of course a voted on by our patreon so over on patreon patreon.com slash cole popsha um every every two weeks or so we'll put up an, a FFF suggestion thread where you suggest a franchise and the one with the most likes is the one we're doing and Richard it's our final film franchise fortnights of 2021 yeah, this one will be and we nice. asked everyone to um, submit Christmassy franchises that being either ones that have a single Christmas film at least in them or ones that have a Christmas vibe maybe ones that are about um, <laughs> Christmas <winter>. vibe <laughs> <laughs> and there's some pretty interesting interpretations of that um of you know of that of that, yeah, of that and we love uh, <laughs> um and so uh, but the one with the most votes is what richard have you got it open
1: I do have it open and it's I can tell you it's a uh, it was it was a hotly fought battle um some of the ones that didn't quite make the cut uh Disney's Beauty and the Beast, uh, because the second animated film was uh, Bells Uncharted Christmas, I believe it's called. Um, mm-hmm. Bridget Jones. Mm-hmm. Somewhat uh, snowy. God's Not Dead um, had had a pretty... Um, actually, uh, tell you what, Die Hard fought pretty valiantly until it was deleted <laughs> um, as a comment. Um,
0: For canonical reasons. Listen yeah, to the, old episodes if you want to understand why that is.
1: The winner, uh, well, in second place, with one just one vote behind we have the vacation franchise Um, which means that next fortnight for our final episode of the year we're going to be covering frozen which the two frozen films can i just say what a fucking fantastic way to end the year two two easy breezy cover girl films (laughs) <laughs> just yeah I, I look forward and to and a year these. that we
0: started with Barbie we're mm. ending with Disney's Barbie
1: yeah yeah no it, um it, two franchises made to sell toys bookending the the year mm. uh alright where can people find us let's get out of here we're, yeah we've sure already, already recorded this episode twice we don't let's not do it with- let's not make this any longer
0: <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode and this is your first time listening then please be sure to support us at all the different social medias mainly I'd say you should follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Popsha you can also um, head along to our Discord which is in the show notes and jump on the Discord there and um, say hi uh, you can also support us on Patreon where you get all those wonderful rewards like meeting of the elders and to be able to suggest and vote on next franchises we do uh, although that, that reward will be Um, be sleeping for a a wee while after Frozen because we'll be um, doing our yearly break of Film Franchise Fortnights um, which uh Means we do more work for off weeks. It's confusing. It's supposed to be like a break, but then we end up doing all these other podcasts yeah. that put give us more work. Um, and you can also get, get i suggest a post credit scene, which you'll hear in just a second. Um, you can email us at gmail.com You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining us for one night at the museum. No, last night, night museum. Last night in the museum. Welcome along to the post-credit scene. This is a segment at the end of each episode where if you donate five dollars or more over at patreon.com/slash cold you get to give us something to talk about. And this the post-credit scene. Richard, lay it on me. What's our post-credit scene? Who's it from and what does it say?
1: Today, uh today's post-credit scene comes to us from Ben Jimin Adams. Uh mm, hello, who Benjamin. writes. Hi, Ben. Um, who says if you had to choose a movie to watch weekly for one year, fifty-two watches? What movie would you pick and why?
0: Mm, of course, inspired by our older brother podcast, "The Worst Idea of All Time." Um, what movie what, 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 would you? Do you want to do this to torture yourself or because you know you can take it?
1: Yeah, um, Night at the Museum two. <laughs>
0: i reckon the um the i have a memory of um getting uh jimmy neutron boy genius the movie Mm -hmm. as a kid and just playing it on repeat in the lounge and for some reason that was relaxing and so i because i don't want to do this with a movie that i like because i worry it'd ruin it and i don't want to do it with a movie i would completely hate because i feel like that would ruin um, my life. Um, <laughs> I do a movie I have some so somewhat fond memories of, and pick Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius.
1: Nice. That's a good. Uh, that's an interesting answer. Yeah, I'm trying to think of mine. Um, I yeah, I guess like I, I feel you do watches is going to get sickening no matter what you do. Do you um, want something
0: with like a real hot sex scene in it or something? So, but well, then you just become be, desensitized to it. Do you reckon, or would it be like? forever there's always going to be something in there that lights up a certain synapse in your brain
1: yeah right yeah 300 rise of an empire